if I'm going to consume this and watch these, these true crime shows or read these true crime books, what am I doing to make the world a better place? How am I getting involved or giving back to this community? I can't solve every case. I'm not a detective. I'm certainly not going to get in the way. So is there, is there a way I can give back even a little? Hey everyone, I'm Maria Sansone and this is Mom to Mom, the podcast. All right, guys, if you are fans of true crime, this one is for you. I don't know what it is about this genre right now, but it has taken the world by storm. It is intense, it is addictive, and I can see how you can quickly become a true crime junkie. And my guest today is the true crime junkie herself. She is the queen of the genre, Ashley Flowers. She is the host and creator of Crime Junkie. You probably already know that. She's also the founder of Audio Chuck. She is a social advocate and so important for our purposes. She is a new mama. So we're going to talk all about that, what it's like being a new mom and running all these businesses and creating a podcast and hosting a podcast and what it's like to be responsible for keeping people up at night like you and me who are obsessed with these true crime podcasts. So here is my conversation with Ashley Flowers. Ashley, hi. Welcome to Mom to Mom. Hi, how are you? I'm great. It is so good to see you. You are such a pro in the podcast game that (laughs) a little intimidating coming at you with my own podcast here, but we're so happy to have you here. And congratulations on your baby girl. I know I can now officially be a mom to mom. I'm so excited. <laughs> we love that. So how are things? How old is, is Josie? Josie is, she will be 13 weeks this Friday. So she's wow. getting big. She's getting, she's looking like, I literally had a breakdown the other day because she's starting to look like a real baby and not a newborn. And I was like, it's happening so fast. <laughs> so this is a fresh baby and yeah. you are really in the throes of it. Plus you have <laughs> so much going on in your career yeah. with all of that. So we're going to jump into all that, but But first and foremost, anytime I sit down with a new mom, I just like to say, how are you? Like, really, how are you? Yeah, no. And the the really part's a good question. (laughs) I am rolling into week 13. I am I am feeling good. I am finally feeling like I have my feet underneath me that I'm understanding my baby. But man, if you had asked me that question, me and my husband like to call it like the infamous week two. No one could have prepared me. Holy cow. We literally just did an AMA episode, me and Brett. And I just talk about how that rocked me like to my core. But I'm feeling yeah. good now. Now I feel like she's like a limb. Every time I'm not touching her, I feel like part of me is missing. <laughs> yes. Well, I feel like after that first week, the adrenaline wears off and like the and reality sets, sets in, in and the reality sets in and you realize, oh, this is our new normal that we have to adjust new, to and you're tired. So yeah. And again, no one could prepare you. I also, I also feel like, and this is something I talked about in our AMA. I feel like no one could really, or really talked about how I would feel towards her. And, and obviously this probably my experience isn't every mom's experience, but I felt really disconnected in the first couple of weeks. Like yeah. the baby that was in my belly and the baby that I was holding felt like two totally separate things, which then made me feel like I, I was broken and I was the worst mother of all time. And 
thank God I had my mom there and some other women who had gone through it as well to just say that you're, you're not a monster. Like this is normal. You're, you know, not only do you have all these hormones coursing through you, but like you, it takes time to get to know this little person. Right. And again, thank God I had those women in my life because again, now I, I feel more connected to her than ever, but I, it got, it got dark for a minute. And I think that's yes. the honest truth about motherhood. It can get dark for a minute. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is exactly what this show is for. And this is the yeah. things we talk about. And I'm so proud of you for being able to say that out loud because it helps normalize those feelings. I definitely had postpartum, what I would call anxiety. Yeah. I didn't know how to name yeah. it because yeah. it didn't present itself like I had heard postpartum depression being. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of working through that myself on my own. And I didn't have the people that I thought I could turn to. Of course I did, but in my head, I didn't. It's always nice when you hear someone that can say it out loud and normalize these things. You're not a monster. I, you're totally normal. I want to scream it from the rooftop. <laughs> like, why was no one saying this before? That like the, the feelings will come and everything will be okay. And you don't, you, again, you're not a monster for feeling any way that you're feeling. It is the most wild experience you're ever going to go through having a baby in those first few weeks. I just pray for every woman that either they hear this, they find, again, I found TikTok videos of other women saying this. And I was like, oh, thank God. So even if it's not a woman, they know just any other woman being like, it's okay. We've all been there. Correct. Oh my gosh. Well, up until 13 weeks ago, when you became a mom, your podcast and your business really was your baby. Mm -hmm. And to see that grow and to see that grow so fast from the outside looking in has been amazing. Um, to look at audio Chuck and to see that there's over a billion downloads <laughs> is your mind Unreal. just like exploding when you when you think yeah. of the growth that you've had in such a short period of time yeah it's weird I, I often say podcast years are like dog years <laughs> it's such a new industry that it when I when I look back and I tell people like oh it's been four years they're blown away because to me it feels like I've been living in this for for so long and been working so hard that like this is the success I was hoping to see yeah. and then and then to, I look I actually take a moment to pause and look back and I'm like wow in four years we've done this and it's been unreal and of course I couldn't I have the most amazing team now behind me and I couldn't have done it without them but now. it's been a lot of hard work now <laughs> yes yeah. we didn't really have a team up until like the very end end of 2019. It was like me just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to figure it all out on my own. <laughs> well, you got to give yourself more credit too, because you, you had a plan and a strategy. Like I you guess. see things sometimes from the outside and you're like, wow, that hit like wildfire, you know, crime junkie seemed like viral all overnight. And that's not always the story. And you had a background in startups. And yeah. so it was interesting to hear that you approached your podcast, almost like a startup. So then when you see the success, you realize, oh, there was a foundation there. There was a plan. But take yeah. us back. And, you know, 2017, you're kind of a pioneer in the podcast space. It was only a few years old, right? At that time. How did you even well, get involved? Yeah, podcasts have been around for, for, for a long time, but they didn't really become popular. A serial, right? was when people, uh, the first time I started listening to a podcast was 2014. So even in 2017, it was wow. still really new. And once I did finally find that, I credit my co-host, Britt. She had been trying to get me into podcasts for so long. It took cereal to, to get me in. And I did. And once I found podcasting, I was in love with it. I was in medical sales at the time. So I was driving eight hours one way to different hospitals, burnout on audiobooks, And 
I found this new medium that I just fell in love with. And so I was consuming everything. I mean, it's why I named the show Crime Junkie. I could not get enough. I like Every single show I could get my hands on, I was consuming all of it. I got to the point where A, there just wasn't enough. enough there wasn't enough quality content. There wasn't the sh- like specific show that I was looking for. And at the same time, I was also on, I do, I've always done a ton of volunteer work and I was on the board of directors for Crime Stoppers. And they kind of gave me this directive of, hey, you know, we need to do some brand awareness for people your age, for millennials and younger to get them aware of our program. And so I kind of at the, at the same time, it was like this perfect marriage of like, okay, maybe I can make this show that I have been looking for. And in, in the same breath, do this thing that this organization is asking me to do. So if you listen to very early episodes of Crime Junkie, there are these like baked in ads for Crime Stoppers. Did I went into it with a plan. This was never going to be a hobby. If I do something, I'm going to do it 150%. I knew that it was going to take everything in me. So I set up my, my business, my LLC before I ever released an episode. And I gave myself wow. a year. I said, this has to be my full-time job in a year or it's not sustainable. I was buying a house at the same time. I was getting married between my full-time job and the podcast. I was working a hundred hours a week. I would get up at five in the morning, do podcasts, go to work, do podcasts till 10 o'clock at night, work all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. It wasn't sustainable that way. So I gave myself a year and by golly, I did it. <laughs> so you see my friends out there, this is no accident. People have no. a plan. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a million and a half podcasts out there right now, but a lot of people don't come into it with a strategy and a business plan, essentially. So I can see why you are as successful as you are. I wonder why, and you were one of them and you saw a need in the marketplace for more of this material, but yeah. what is the obsession with the true crime? And I feel like And I might be wrong, but it seems like women are the ones that are binging this material. It is. is Our listener base is about 80% women. Okay. Um, I have a couple of theories and obviously I cannot speak for all women, but I I will say one of the reasons I think my show has been so successful is I am my audience. Like, again, I, I made the show I wanted. I didn't get into it because it was hot or trendy. I loved what I was doing. And for me, I was always so fascinated with these true crime stories for a couple of reasons. I think, I think one, our brain doesn't like things that are open-ended. We like resolution. We like stuff that makes sense. So we're we're drawn to... Yeah, we're drawn to solving mysteries in general. Also, I always came at it from kind of an educational perspective, like women often are the victims in these stories that we hear about. And so I think something in my mind was like, the more I can understand these stories and understand what happened, what went wrong, how can I prevent something like this from happening to myself? Like the more I learned, somehow I thought I could be more vigilant about my own safety. But it makes a lot of people not be able to sleep. <laughs> it was just true again not the case for me but it, it it almost makes them like hyper like paranoid it's funny because we have this saying um on our show called paranoid so you are a little paranoid but at the yeah. same time it is making you more prepared and so yeah. it's, it's this, this dicey line that we're always like toting my hairdresser is like very into all this and obsessed with your podcast too. And um, every time I'm there, somehow next thing I know, she starts saying, I feel like, you know, at night, maybe someone's after me. I'm like, I think you're doing too much of the truth. <laughs> I don't want to interfere with anyone's sleep. That's we don't want to interfere with anyone's sleep. But with this material comes a huge responsibility. So I'm sure that you take that very seriously. Talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit. Again, it was one of the reasons when I 
started before I started the show, why I started volunteering with Crime Stoppers is even as a consumer, I, I started the older I got kind of having this need of if I'm going to consume this and watch these these true crime shows or read these true crime books, what am I doing to make the world a better place? How am I getting involved or giving back to this community? I can't solve every case. I'm not a detective. I'm certainly not going to get in the way. So is there is there a way I can give back even a little? Again, with the resources I had at the time. And, and at the time, that was volunteering for Crime Stoppers. And so even when I started the show, it was always with this mindset of I'm not going to go into an industry as a voyeur or or someone who's just going to make light of these stories. These are real people and real stories with real things that need to be done. There's a lot broken in the justice system. There are a lot of people who need help advocating for themselves or their loved ones. And so I always went in with the intention of, I want to tell these stories in an ethical, responsible way that if it were my loved one, I would, I would be okay with that. I'd be proud of it. And more than that, not only just telling it in the right way, how can I use my resources and what I'm gaining with this show to give back to the community. So early on, again, when I was just dumping money into my company, I was still trying to give back with ad space, right? I was doing ads for crime stoppers when I didn't have a dime. When we started making money, then it was putting money back into the true crime community through nonprofits or causes. And as we've gotten bigger and bigger and, and being able to actually work with family and advocating for them, we've now hired investigative reporters to cover cases ourselves that we think aren't getting enough attention or wow. need to be solved. And so I've been very mindful the whole time of, of the more resources we have, the more I want to do. So you're talking about giving back and I want to talk about season of justice a little bit because it is incredible how you've put so much of an emphasis on helping people. I mean, like I said, the, the, the bigger we got, the more I wanted to give back. And I kind of identified this big need in the space where funding has been an issue I saw consistently when working with families and law enforcement funding for testing. It wasn't something that we could pay for directly as an outside media company. You know, the lines could get really messy. And so now that we had the resources to do it, it took a lot of resources to start a nonprofit, but we had the capability to do it. So we started our own nonprofit. It is separate from Audio Chuck run by an executive director with the sole purpose of funding testing when funding is an issue. So we pay the labs directly and we're doing, you know, it's a lot of the genealogy stuff. We're hearing about all these cases getting solved through genealogy. We're doing that. Sometimes wow. there is funding. They literally can't even get a profile to put into CODIS, which, you know, CODIS has been around for so long. So we've, I mean, the last date I saw, which was like, you know, a month or two ago is Season of Justice has been able to award grants over, we've awarded over like $300,000. We're helping in over 40 cases actively right now. So again, it's more than just talking about these cases. We're actually solving some of them, which is incredible. That's amazing. That's something, I mean, you have a lot to be proud of, but I feel like this piece is really something special. So now that you are 13 weeks into motherhood, mm -hmm. a new mom of a little girl, and we talked earlier about how women are often the victims in the stories that you tell. I wonder if you are looking at things through a little bit of a different lens now that you're a mom when you tell these stories. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking a lot about that because it's a question I've, I've been asked a lot is if I if I see the stories different, if I approach them differently. And again, I've always approached them from, no, I didn't have a daughter, but if, as if they were my sister, my mother, my brother. What I'll say is I always had the same empathy, but now I spend more time thinking just about who a victim was as like a younger child, at, like they were someone's infant and, mm. and they took their first steps. And they, and I, I just find myself spending more time thinking about who they were and thinking about their mothers and the 
the dreams that their mothers had for them. I mean, these victims were always a complete person to me, but I spent a lot more time thinking about those, those younger years. That's interesting. So about the name Josie, it seems yeah. like there's some something there that listeners picked up on. Is that a name that came up before in your work? <laughs> The, the name truly kind of came out of nowhere. Like I, I didn't name her after everyone, anyone. The name just kind of came to me. And as soon as it came to me, I just knew that was her name. And I had to kind of sell my husband on it. But interestingly, we have another show called Full Body Chills that we do um, around Halloween season. That's all like spooky fiction stories. Mm-hmm. And some of our listeners actually submit stories. And one of the stories that got submitted and approved by David, who is the EP, was a story called Roses for Josie. Like right around the same time, I had decided that that was going to be her name, which again, it's like, it's a very creepy story, but it like (laughs) solidified it for me. And so I kind of teased to everyone once I had announced I was pregnant that somewhere in our library of content, um, her name was out there. Oh, (laughs) yes. Oh my gosh. And you have such a cult following and people listen and hang on to every single word. So I'm sure people were guessing what it was and everything. Someone, someone said it was like a Taylor Swift Easter egg. And I was like, oh, that's the highest praise of all time. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about some of the other stuff that you have going on. The podcast has just led to this whole other explosion. Um, So talk about some of the stuff that you're working on outside of that with Audio Chuck as well. Yeah. So Crime Junkie was our very first show. It is, you know, what we are known for, but we have um, a slate of about 13 shows now and we're continuing to add on new content all the time. So podcasting is always going to be our, our number one focus. A lot of companies like look to podcasting now as like, you know, almost like a pilot used to be in TV. It's like, we're just going to, we're going to see if the IP works and then we're going to take it to television. And it's just like a stepping stone. And I don't see it that way at all. I, again, I so love this medium that this will, I will make podcasting for podcasting, Mm -hmm. but I do hope that, you know, in the next couple of years that we can branch out and are in these podcasts, these stories that I think are so important do find their way into television or film only. So these stories can reach a broader audience. Um, but, but we're growing the podcast network. I wrote a book that I'm so excited about a fiction novel. So I'll be doing that as well. We're moving offices. We're hiring more people. It's the growth is again, we've been growing exponentially, but we're not stopping here. What is your take on the current state, like the current status of podcasts? It seems like everybody has one. You just said that, you know, you do think that it's, it will be here for the long haul because it is a special medium. I mean, I know that I consume very differently on a podcast than I do on TV. For example, this show airs on television, but it also plays as a podcast. And I listen to the podcast and it hits totally different than it Doesn't does it? when Isn't that you're wild? us. And I'm in a mm-hmm. visual medium. I've been in one my whole life, but certain things I feel like are just consumed better this way. So just wondering, since you're so in the game, what's the future for the podcast world? You know, I, I think there are going to be kind of these, these branches where you will have these really highly produced thematic presentations almost again that that they're trapped for tv and this there will continue to be like almost these pilots and i think that that will stay but i also to your point i think there's this specialness even if it's the exact same content about hearing without a face that people can take it with them and so it feels really personal and so i also think that there's going to be this vein of the show's where people connect to a host and feel like they're friends and they're getting information from a friend Mm -hmm. not that those are like 
you know, put together sloppily. Again, I think it, you know, 2022, there's no excuse for poor audio quality. You got to edit, you got to be sharp. It's a big industry, but it's, it's going to be very intimate. And so I think there are going to be these big productions and then kind of these like more intimate productions, though intimate does not mean small. I think Crime Junkie is very intimate and obviously is, is very it's large. Millions and billions of people. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think you're onto something there where we don't necessarily need polished. We don't need bells and whistles and music and all these things. Mm-hmm. Like if the story and the content is good, people mm-hmm. sometimes just want it in a more chill way. Like as if you're talking to a friend and you've always mm-hmm. done that. And I think that's part of the success of your podcast is you always told these stories as if you were telling your friend and you were telling your friend and that yeah. in, in real life. So that worked out. So you wrote a fiction book. Mm-hmm. How was that experience and how different was the fiction you know, from doing your true crime stuff and the reality of all that. So physically writing was very hard. Luckily I had, I had a partner help me. I keep telling people if it were up to me to put pen to paper, the story would have been a 300 page run on sentence. I'm great for writing (laughs) for spoken word, but not for reading. And so having a partner to help me bring the story to life was essential. And it was hard. Like she is so talented. Her name's Alex Keister. She's amazing. So it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be making sure there's two perspectives in my story. It's about this journalist who comes back to her small town to solve this decades old case as another case is unfolding. And we have multiple timelines going on. So, you know, it was really difficult, but I found it so exciting because to your point, I live in this true crime space where we're doing a lot of advocacy work. The stakes are really high because these are real people and real stories and real outcomes that we're trying to affect. Yeah. It was, it was actually a nice break for me people always ask like, oh, what do you do to unwind? I still, again, I love mysteries. Like I got my start reading fiction mysteries long before I ever was into true crime. So it was nice to go back to kind of where it all started in a space where I can play with a mystery, tell a story, but the stakes are as low as they can be. There are no, you know, real people at the end of this that I, I would be affecting. I, I just got to live in a mysterious world that I created. That's really cool. So for people who may not be familiar with Crime Junkie, who have not stepped into this world yet, if you could point them in the direction of one episode to get them hooked, Mm. which one would it be? Oh, curveball. Um, You know, I think that one we did recently that I think showcases it really well is the mysterious death of Joanne Matuk Romaine. It's a case that is currently unsolved. Her family is looking for justice. We actually did a two-parter on that, which is a little abnormal for us. But I think it gives you a good idea of the research that goes into these stories. I think it showcases how we can take a really complicated case and break it down to its most simplest form. Again, in a way that it sounds exactly like what it is, like I'm telling my best friend a story and every listener is my best friend on the other end as well. So when people listen to something from Audio Chuck, which seems to be growing by the day, what do you hope that they're getting out of it? I hope that they're getting ideas of how they can get involved. The biggest thing that I found that I took away uh, getting into this is I always thought that like to make a difference in true crime, I had to be the detective. And I thought I could never make a difference because I could never be the detective. But what I've found is that everyone can use their individual skills 
to make a difference, even in the true crime space. So I found my skills were as a business owner and a storyteller, and I found a way to use that to make a difference. It might not be for every person on the scale of audio check and crime junkie, but looking back into when I volunteered for Crime Stoppers, do you like what skill do you have that you could lend to a nonprofit, a cause, a family to make a difference? And I, and I hope that through all of our shows, through all of our episodes, we're slowly giving people ideas of ways to do that. Very cool. Well, this has been amazing with everything you have going on. Thank you so much for giving us all this time. We covered a lot of ground, Ashley. We talked about (laughs) having a newborn and a business strategy and building a podcast and giving back and true crime and unsolved mysteries and all this good stuff. So um, thank you so much for being here today. Congratulations on being a new mom and keep up the good work. It's so fun to follow you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Mom to Mom. If you are in the New England area, just a reminder that you can watch Mom to Mom on TV the good old-fashioned way. We're on Mondays at 11.30 a.m. on NBC10 Boston. And if you're here and you're enjoying the platform, be sure to binge on all of our episodes of Mom to Mom. There are so many great ones here, and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review That way more people can experience the show. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I'll see you next week right here on Mom to Mom.